I'd like to welcome everyone to our fourth episode of the Disaster Dads. That is correct. We have survived four solid episodes, and this episode is a uh, virtual gathering of the dads, so you may hear a little uh, static in the background, Frank, um, or you may hear uh, some children walk in on us as we are all uh, occupied in the dads part of our disaster this weekend. So um, uh, you can probably get more than you're going to bargain for in this episode, and we're happy to provide that for you. Um, again, my name is Eric. I am your host of the Disaster Dads, and with me I have Frank, Dan, Joe, and Rob. We've got the core group of Disaster Dads. And for those of you that aren't, weren't watching, uh, Frank just waved when I introduced him, so uh, he forgot that this is a, uh, a recorded podcast, and so I'm, I take any opportunity I can to uh, pick on everybody, um, especially since this is his episode. Uh I, again, thank everyone for uh, for listening to us and all of our other episodes. Uh, make sure that you check us out at DisasterDads.com and give us a follow at DisasterDads on the Twitters. Uh, we promise to be a little bit better about that. We try to find interesting articles that combine the disaster disaster field, but also the the parental aspects of it, because you know that's a you know that's what we're trying to do and make sure that everyone gets that. Emergency preparedness is not just for emergency prepared people. Emergency management people is for everybody. So uh, check us out at Disaster Dads on Twitter. Uh, we now, thank you Squarespace, have activated the comment section of our website. So when you go to DisasterDads.com and you click on the show and you see all of our episodes on there with all of the show notes and the articles that we're talking about, you can comment on that too. So please take advantage of that uh, <laughs> until one of you abuses it. I have a pretty good guess which one of you it may be. They're still going to be alive. As soon as that happens, we'll turn into the moderating and just remember that we have some awesome friends and uh, we'll be taking care of that. Yeah, so. tune back in episode five when we turn that off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, this episode, we've had you know some great discussions about being prepared in, for National Preparedness Month, um, which was September, and I think that was a you know, a, a good way to start our podcast lives and to get that information out there. So we're going to start expanding it with all of our further episodes. Um, this episode, we're going to start talking about uh, school safety. And so, you know, it's a it's an interesting issue because there's multiple aspects of it. There's the stuff that kids need to do to be safe at school. But a big part of being a student is having active parents as well. And so there's a lot of stuff that parents need to do as their kids go to school from the, the baby stages of preschool, that's only a couple of days a week, uh, all the way up to, you know, high school and even to the college level, uh, you know, just how do you prepare yourselves and how do you prepare your, your kids for what's going on? You know, there was a recent article in the Washington post that, that really kind of talked on this issue that parents need to prepare for lockdown drills because, you know, we're in this day and age where, that where schools have so many different issues. It just used to be fire drills. Uh, and in certain areas of the country, you had to do earthquake drills. Other areas of the country, you had to do maybe snow drills. I don't know. I didn't, all I had was earthquake. Tornado drills. Tornado, yeah. tornado, tornado drills. drills. Okay. I didn't have those in my part of the country. Space weather drills. Space weather <laughs> drills. Yeah. So, you know, these are things that, that had to be done. Now every school is working on, uh, they have to have a lockdown drill and prepare their students for what to do when someone violates that safe space of school and and tries to do things that we can't even imagine ever happening but are happening on a fairly regular basis. Uh, there was one article out there um, just a, a last year sometime that tracked some of the data because, to my knowledge, and, and uh, Frank will get into this in a little bit, I don't think there's any requirement for schools to uh, report to anybody on 
the fact that they did a lockdown drill. So it's one of those things that comes through the media or whatever. And sometimes a lockdown is, is from a hoax. Sometimes it's for something real. So it's a mix and match, but, um, an article from, um, uh, late last year found out that there was about 10 lockdown drills a day being done across the country. So it's, it's something that you have to, that, that you have to be aware of and that's happening all the time. So we want to talk about, uh, being safe as parents and, and having the information so that when your school goes into a fire drill or, or a fire emergency or even a, a lockdown emergency or something like that, what can you expect as a parent? And, and being the better prepared parent is very important um, uh, to do. And so, you know, it's a it's something that you never wanted to have to deal with, but it's something that we're going to have to deal with. So we're going to have uh, our own disaster dad, Frank, who is um, very well informed and, and works within a, a school district in this this field and he's going to talk to us about that and you know we're going to provide some questions and we hope that you will provide us some questions after you listen to this episode that we can maybe help answer down the road um and then when that's all uh when we're you know we're also going to lead that into just in general preparing our you know our kids and again all of us have have kids under the age of five ish um and so it's you know the younger set like the kind of things that we can prepare them so we wanted to add a flavor of also the disaster dads and all of us with a fire background it's coming up on uh, fire prevention week in october uh, fire prevention week is um, the 9th through the 15th of october and so we found someone who is planning uh, some of the activities at um at one of our local fire departments and he's going to be talking about that so uh, we'll We'll have a little interview with our first interview, our inaugural interview, and we would like to really, well, you know, be thanking him plenty during that interview. But Deputy Chief um, uh, Drake Springer for providing that interview for us and some of the work that's being done uh, in prevention and just you know look into it in your community. So uh, the that's kind of a two-part episode today, but it's all focused on how to prepare our kids and ourselves and things that we can do to help make them safe. So um, you know, with that. I would really like to uh, let Frank get it started, and then the rest of the dads kind of chime in and, and get some questions going on this. So, um, Frank, you know, share with us right. wisdom and knowledge as it comes to school safety. All right. Thanks a lot. Um, if, first of all, I just school systems across the country are, are doing more and more um, in terms of preparing their kids for any type of emergency, and, and most states now are required are requiring their school systems to, to do certain drills to train their kids. So our school system does fire drills. We do lockdown drills. We mentioned the tornado drills. We also do bus safety drills. What happens if there's an incident on the bus? How do you get off the bus? Um, so we do all those. And in the first month of school, we're required to have four or five drills in that first month of school to, to just to get kids in the mindset. And then we also do things like lockdown drills where if, you know, if, God forbid there's somebody who comes into school who's not supposed to be there and who wants to cause harm. What happens? What do the kids need to do? Where do they need to go? Who do they need to listen to? And it's not only for the kids' sake, but it's also for the teacher's sake. So they know what to do. The administrators in the building know where to go, know what to do, um, what the procedures are. Um, so we do that on a, um, on a pretty much a daily basis. In fact, this past week, um, we had a number of lockdown drills throughout our school system. And what we actually do is we communicate that with parents. We let them know today we had a, we had a lockdown drill. 
And it's, you know, it's to let kids know what to do in the events of emergency Frank, and where to go. Frank, how do you let them know? Do you do it through a, a communication directly to the parents, give something to the students? Or is it uh, in this day and age of social media, do you put something out on, on Facebook or Twitter or is it a combination of all of this? Um, we actually, each individual school um, sends out a message to their parents e- uh, over email. So we have a we have a system set up, and, and most school systems across the country do. They have a uh, an email communication system where they can send out messages at the district level, and then again at the school level. So our schools, they individually send out these messages to, to alert their parents um, that they have um, drills and um, what the drill was and why the why that drill was important for their kids to go through. Um, so it's in. The states require us to actually keep a log of that and turn that in um, so they know that we're complying with their mandates of, of keeping our kids safe. And that's only monitored by the state or do they provide that to the Department of Education? No, it's, it's just at the state level. Yeah, state level. I imagine there's probably some, like for insurance and liability purposes, you have to demonstrate to whoever does that. That you're doing some of the school district has to demonstrate that they're doing that too. Yeah, that's a small part. That's a small part of it. But yeah, we have to demonstrate that we're um, that we have plans. In fact, every school has a um, uh, emergency management plan that they have in place. We have one at the district. Um, we know at the, at the district level who what administrators go out to um, the incident who stays back at the office, who coordinates with the police department, who coordinates with the fire department, um, and, and how those, how messages get filtered down through to the parents. Um, so we do use, um, our email system. If the, in the event of an actual emergency where something's happening in a school, um, we do use a combination of social media, um, and email communications to, to our parents. Um, usually right off the bat, it's probably, something on social media just to alert the fact to, pa- to parents that there's an issue, we're aware of it, and that we'll be communicating um, soon with does more information. Does your office have an internal time frame that maybe they're looking at? You know, within the first 10 minutes of a suspected incident, you just put out a notification that something's happening, more details will be provided later. I mean, there's no real, there's no real time frame. Um, it's partly it's, it's how fast we can get the information from whatever law enforcement or emergency management um, services is in there. So if you know if, if there's a fire at a school, um, we probably get that right away. But we need the details to communicate. It could be as something as simple as a you know a, um, an AC um, overheating and some smoke getting through the building. But we don't know that until the fire department goes through and checks. So it's we have to communicate that as soon as we get the information from them. And it could take ten to fifteen minutes to get that information. Um, as we all know, arriving on a scene, if you're at fire, if scene size up, you walk through, you're not going to get that initial, um, report out of the way right off the bat. As soon as you roll up, you've got to do certain steps to figure out what's going on. Um, and the other thing, you know, we have, this happens a lot. Um, parents here, Oh, my school's in a lockdown. Well, it might not be an actual lockdown, um, we have in the national capital region, um, we have three different types. We have a lockdown, which means school is locked down. Um, classrooms are locked down. Um, no one's getting in and out of the building. Um, things like that. We have a, a shelter in place, which again, um, 
the building's locked down, classrooms are locked down, but kids are actually still learning in the classroom. They're not, they're not allowed to walk out of the classroom, um, to another classroom. They have to stay wherever they are. And then we have secure the building, which just means, um, we lock the front doors. We lock all the doors. If kids are in recess, we pull them in. Um, but no one's allowed in or out of the building, but things happen in the building as they normally would. So if kids are going to lunch, they go to lunch. They're going to the library, they go to the library. Um, hey, and Frank, let me ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Let me sorry to cut in. Let me ask you about that because um, do you ever do you experience any confusion whether it's with the teachers, administrators, um, even the news media with those different terms? It's actually it's it's interesting that you brought that up. It's it's an issue that I'm dealing with in my work environment where we're trying to figure out what the appropriate language is to call these different types of uh, security thresholds. And there's a lot of a lot of confusion, a lot of questions um, about what each of them means. Yeah, we definitely do have confusion, not so much internally, because we'll we announce that in the building, the principal will usually or whoever's in charge that day will usually get on me and say, you know, we're just want to let you know we're in a shelter in place or whatever it is. I mean, they have policies internally on how to communicate that. Um, But externally, uh, you know, there can be a bank robbery down the street from a school. And the SRO or a police officer will walk to that school and say, we want a shelter. We want you to um, secure the building. And we, we um, communicate that to our parents. They just want to let you know we're in secure the building due to police activity in the area. If we know what that police activity is and the police department's okay with us sharing that, then we'll put that out there. Otherwise, we'll just say it's an incident. But we do have issues where the media will call us right away and say, hey, we hear school X is in lockdown. Like no, they're not in lockdown. They're in secure the building, and have to explain that. Um, I know there's one local outlet in the um, in our region that always doesn't matter what it is. It's always a lockdown for them. So there is okay. some confusion, but we try to make sure. Would that be an internet-based news agency, Frank? That would be an internet-based news agency. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> local news blog. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hyper local, I think, is what he calls himself. Mm-hmm. Hey, Frank, as far as the drill is concerned, I mean, we've all grown up with the fire drills happening in October and the fall, and it's it's all expected. Even to the point where those of us you know, in in workplaces now know October and March are pretty much going to be your fire drills. Um, are you more? Do the drills tend to be more randomized as to you know the lockdown drills? Are they? maybe announce to the teachers ahead of time, is there a frequency to them? Or, or do you try to bring reality to the fact that they can happen at any time? Um, a little bit of both. Um, during the first month of the school year, we, pre- we, we try to schedule them so that the administrators and the teachers and the staff know that they're coming. Um, we'll just say, they'll say, Monday or Tuesday, we're going to have a drill. Um, so they know um, toward the end of the year, um, and in the middle part of the year, it'll be a random, let's go ahead and have a, a fire drill today. But in that first month, it really is the fire and the lockdown drills are the two that we're um, hammering home to our, our school communities. You know, you said that you make it randomized for the, the teachers and stuff, too. <clears throat> How often do you coordinate with law enforcement, first responders, uh, the Office of Emergency Management? Like, are they involved in some of this, too? Because it's one of those things, I'm sure, that it can be sort of an S show when it actually really has to happen, uh, even with multiple drills going on. Cause 
I mean, I'm sorry. I remember. So I, well, I kind of remember what it's like to be a high school student. Not really, but you know, <laughs> you're just kind of doing whatever. And now, you know, you kind of you got to watch where everybody is. You have to monitor. So you've got kids that are just, you know, being kids. They're not trying to be malicious or anything. All of that confusion with all of them coming out of a building, wherever. You've got parents that have heard about this through various media sources, social, traditional, whatever it may be, or official communications with the um, the school. And then you add on the mix all the first responders and everybody else that's going on. You try to make sure that there is in the loop in, as possible and how to work within your system. Yeah, um, we actually have a great relationship with our um, local law enforcement and fire services and also the um, Office of Emergency Management in our in our county. Um, and we work together collaboratively throughout the year. And those lockdown drills and those fire drills, there's usually um, police or somebody from OEM or somebody from the fire department there um, just to walk through and make sure things are going are going smoothly. Now, they won't be at every drill at every school we'll randomly select a school for them to go into and, and they'll work with the building administrator and with also the um, central administrators to make sure that things are, are working right and, and that we're all on the same page. You know, as a parent, what can I do to prepare myself for that moment that I get that notification? You know, do I need to be kind of paying attention when I drop my, you know, at the start of the school year, do I need to register for any of these email distribution lists or is that something, you know, and again, I know that every school district is different, and I'm mm-hmm. just kind of, uh, you know, using yours with your experience as kind of just a, a baseline. But you know, do I have to automatically opt into those kind of things? Is it something that I can opt out and like? Should I check to see if I have, uh, you know, cell phone numbers? Do you, all the contacts? Are there sheets that I fill out? I mean, I haven't gone through any of this, but uh, I, in my household, I am not the paperwork person, and that's just what that is. So mm-hmm. I'm sure this kind of stuff gets done, but. I would like to at least know that it's a standard process. Yeah. So um, you're right. It does d- depend on the school system you're in. In our specific school system, you're automatically opted in the minute you register your child um, in school. And I think our surrounding communities are all the same way. Once you register, you're opted in. Now, you can go in and manage your preferences if you're doing this over email to make sure you get text and emergency notifications. Um, in the event of an emergency, um not only will we send an email, but we will send a text. And the system we have, it has capability of sending um, an emergency message to every email we have in the system. Um, all that stuff there. I was going to say, would it ever be to the level where you would notify people outside of the school community? So such as taking advantage of, of those, uh, you know, we've all got them on our phones. The, the weather's coming, uh, um, you know, the alert system that automatically buzzes your phone would there be something where you might take advantage of that or is it normally just kept within the school family uh it's usually kept within the um um it's usually kept within the school now we have some community members that are um uh on our email list so they'll get um they'll get those notifications but it's pretty much kept within the school community i know i've been asking a lot of the questions any of the other guys have some questions here with the last few minutes? Or uh, Yeah, I have a question. Uh, do you recommend or do you not recommend parents being tremendous jerks to school officials when lockdowns <laughs> go into effect? Uh, we recommend. I'm sure you've we, never we, actually encountered this, but just like when you guys game. Hypothetical. Never, uh, 
Hypothetically, don't Hypothetically. be a jerk to your school community. They're they're dealing with, you know, if it's an elementary school, up to 700 kids in a school. If it's a high school, about 2,200 kids. So they're dealing with all that, plus plus dealing with us and dealing with law enforcement or whatever the issue is. Don't be jerks to them. Um, the other – there's two other points I, I want to make is that if something does happen in your school system, make sure that you are signed up for all the channels that you can – um, sign up for that are official school system channels. Their social media. Um, there's a the trend now for school systems is to do a lot on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or something like that. So we're going to get that message out there, and don't listen to anybody's message but the message that's coming from the schools. You know, don't. Yeah, kids are going to be out there. They're going to try tweeting. They're going to try texting. They're going to try Snapchatting. Whatever the whatever they're doing in this day. Um, it's um, make sure you're following the school system because that's where the information is going to come. And if it's a serious incident, it's going to take a few minutes for the school system to get that information out to parents. Um, calling the school and having the phones ring off the hook doesn't help because we're not going to answer. But we need to coordinate with law enforcement and make sure our messages are aligned and we have the accurate information. We just don't want to put out wrong information. So it might take us a little bit, yeah. might take us up to 30 minutes to get out that initial message with everything in it. That's why we try to be on Twitter or something and just say, there's an incident at X school, more and more details to come check your email soon. Um, and probably one of the worst things you can do is actually go to the school. <laughs> you know, little Johnny is, is at, uh, is at elementary school. He's a kindergartner. There's something happening and you're going to go right to the school that just causes a cluster with the scene. And, and we all know that being in, in the fire service, it just adds but, to the chaos. That's on a the natural scene. parent reaction, right? You want to be by your kids. Yeah. You want to, mm -hmm. you want to try to help your help save whatever the situation is. You want to be there with your kids, but yeah, absolutely. That oftentimes yeah. creates more problems than, uh, mm -hmm. and you know, if it is something serious in a school, um, and we have to get those kids out of there. We have, um, we have policies and procedures in place to that where we'll move an elementary kids to a, a high school or a nearby school. And then we'll let parents know the reunification process, where they need to go and how they can pick up their kids. Right. Because similar to what we would do when we were in the fire service, I'm sure you guys have ways to keep accountability and number, you know, number check all of the kids. And so if parents start just walking in, and trying to grab a kid here or there, it's going to make the ability of the school system to, to actually respond to things that much harder. Yep, it is. You're absolutely correct. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> don't build his ego. We don't tell him that, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, you know, as, as, a, as a new parent and even for older parents that have kids um, in, in school right now, I think one of the, that last point that you made, Frank, is one of the good takeaways to have is that you know, don't go to this, you know, the schools got things in hand. Schools are not unprepared for these kind of situations. And so you're going to add to the chaos of an already chaotic situation. So it's important to, to trust in the school system, to trust what's going on there, um, and that you will get the information eventually. And yeah, you're, yeah. you're going to be losing your ass while you're waiting. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. But stuff is going on in the background. It's not just that people are not doing anything. There's a lot of, a lot of important processes that have to take place. And so it's important to remember that, you know, mm -hmm. that if that's one of the takeaways that I can, that I can put out there is just, 
mm-hmm. trust that the system is together and it has been working on this and is moving along. Yeah, and we've right. we've done a lot of things the last few years since since you know the the Sandy Hooks and the Virginia Techs and things like that. We've done things to enhance the the procedures that we go through and the policies we have in place. Um, the other thing too is. At the beginning of the year, parents are going to get a handbook from their school system. And in, in, in our state, it's required that parents, um, that they have that in hand, but then they sign a form saying that they have had that and they have turned it in or they have read it and they turn that back into the school um, and they send that back to the school um, that they've read that. But in that handbook is your basic emergency management information. It has the difference between the lockdown shelter in place and secure the building. It has where we're going to communicate and how we're going to communicate to parents. So all that is in there and just scroll through that handbook, look for the emergency section and just skim it, read it um, and just figure out what's going on. And, and know that if you didn't get a handbook at your district, if you're in a, a school district that doesn't do something like that, they ha- they have something that's going on. Uh, some sort of plan in place, and and don't be afraid to ask. I think. Oh my God, your scruff. Seriously. <laughs> um, I apologize. Uh, Sorry. If your school doesn't have, you know, if you don't didn't get something or anything like that, you know, or don't be afraid to, you know, ask your school about. It. They want you to be engaged. They want parents to have, you know, this involvement beyond just the emergency preparedness part, but just to be involved in, in the program and in what's going on with their school so this is one way that you can do that so i I encourage and and the disaster dads in general encourage you to uh, reach out to your schools find out what they have if you're curious about it and and you know it's a hard thing to do to put the you know your child's life into someone else's hands but when you send them to school that's that's kind of the contract that we make for some of this education that you know for the education that we're going to get that the schools are there to take care of your child when you're not there to, to watch after them. And there's a lot that goes into that. This is one of those pieces. So just trust that something is going on there. So um, I really appreciate Frank for sharing that, that with all of us. And, you know, I hope it stirs some questions within um, again, this is kind of a two part episode. And so we've talked about what we can do at schools and, and what happens at the schools during emergency situations, whether, you know, we focus on kind of the lockdown situation because that's been very top of mind for a lot of issues. Uh, it's, it's, or a lot of parents and, and people in the country and it, it's happening more often than they really want it to. So we focus on that. But another part of it is just educating about what happens if there's an emergency at your home or if there's an emergency on the road, you know, how do you communicate this with your, your kids and, and how do you get that across? And so, uh, we have found and we've all experienced within the disaster dads that open houses within your fire departments are a great way to expose your kids to a firefighters, which are very cool. And you always want to have them meet firefighters, but you also get to meet, you know, cops and that's okay too. And some sheriffs, you know, happy that they're out there to do that. Uh, and Red Cross and all these different aspects of your emergency response in your community. Um, so open house is a great way to do that. And it also gets your kids to not be scared of somebody in uniform. It's, it's really important to do, uh, these kind of, I don't know, reduce the, reduce the fear level of it. So, um, you know, we were lucky enough to have been, uh, uh, volunteer firefighters in our communities and had a great time doing that. And so, um, the disaster dads have all uh, just recently, within the past couple of years, retired from their fire service, but it's all still in our heart. So we found someone who's actively involved within the uh, Fire Prevention Week within our former community um, 
and and got him on to to talk to us about what's going on with with Fire Prevention Week and with the theme for this year on uh, Don't Wake, Check the Day, uh, ending the trilogy series of uh, focusing on smoke detectors because uh, we'll talk about it. The technology is changing. And so, uh, again, we're really happy to have been able to get Deputy Chief Springer on board to, to talk about that. And so enjoy the interview. All right, and we're here today with a uh, longtime listener and friend of the show, Deputy Chief Drake Springer uh, with the Falls Church Volunteer Fire Department. And as, as many of our listeners know, the, the dads all got to know each other through our work with the Falls Church Volunteer Fire Department. And so we're really excited that uh, Drake reached out and wanted to talk to us about Fire Prevention Week, which is coming up. Uh, we're going to go a little few details uh, from Drake on uh, and. You know, it's it's fun. We all work fire prevention, so it's kind of exciting to still talk about it. And because now that we have our kids and we get to bring them there and do all that kind of stuff, so so with that, I'd like to uh, I'd like to welcome Drake to the the show and really appreciate you taking the time to also be our inaugural interview. Uh, I know there are many that have been asking for it, and we will get to you all. Uh, Dave will come back to you at some point in the future, but if there's uh, time, if there's time, we're sorry we couldn't get to you this time around, but we're happy to have Drake here. So thanks a lot, Drake. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm I'm really excited to be here, especially for your inaugural interview. And uh, you know, since we don't get together frequently anymore, the best thing we can do is just hang out right here on the podcast and chat. So happy to be here. A podcast is like real life these days. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's what all the cool kids are doing. So might as well do it. Yeah. So uh, fill us in on what the 2016 theme is for uh, Fire Prevention Week. So uh, this year, uh, the fire. Fire Prevention Week, we're building off a theme that uh, started a couple years ago, actually, um, running with the theme for smoke detectors. So this year, the theme is Don't Wait, Check the Date. Uh, and what that is, is basically uh, we're trying to go out there and educate the public to uh, make sure that they are replacing their smoke alarms every 10 years. Uh, you know, everybody talks about uh, testing your smoke alarms. You know, you should test those a couple times a year. But what a lot of people don't know is that you should actually replace your whole smoke detector unit um, every 10 years, um, you know, technology gets out of date, things break down, there could be damage. It's just good to go out there and replace the whole unit every 10 years, even if you're changing the battery on a regular basis. So the theme this year is to kind of spur people to uh, think about that. And uh, that's, again, the third year in a row that we've done something related <laughs> to smoke detecting. But um, this will be this will be it. We're wrapping it up. We're pretty confident we've covered our bases with smoke detectors. The, tr- the trilogy is complete. <laughs> Trilogy is complete. No Star Wars, but you know it's pretty good. But, but yeah. you know you need smoke detectors. They're important, so it's good to have that conversation about them. But but you did mention something for those that don't know. The technology in smoke detectors has been changing quite a bit over the past years here. And nowadays, you don't actually change batteries in smoke detectors. Uh, they come the batteries built in. The batteries are supposed to last ten years. And so, you know, I think. For a lot of people, that's a whole new education that you have to get that you you, you don't change batteries. And so you need do need to check them because you put it up there and you kind of set it and forget it. And that's important to, to kind of check out because smoke detectors are are your best first line of defense. Yeah, they yeah. really are. I mean, there's been several instances, um, not just in Arlington County, but in the northern Virginia region um, in the last couple of years, especially where there's been a fire. And um, there were several instances where there were no casualties for those fires because the smoke detectors worked and people were able to get out of their house uh, before the fire department even got there and nobody got injured, nobody got killed. And those are those are the best kind of calls that we go to where 
you know, nobody gets injured. It's, it's a good day for everybody. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the fire happened and some people are displaced, but at the end of the day, the outcome's pretty good. And the smoke detectors to thank for that. And you made a good point. You know, I, I actually have nest smoke detectors, um, which, uh, I think some people are becoming increasingly familiar with and they have that 10 year battery. Um, but yeah, again, that you should replace them, uh, every 10 years or so, because, you know, you can look at you can look on the, uh, physical unit and see how old it is. Yeah. Um, if you ever get confused or you forget when you installed it or whatever, you can actually look at it and it'll tell you. That's a great point, Drake. And I think another thing is if you've moved into a new apartment or you've bought a new house and you don't know how old the smoke detectors are, change them. Assume yeah. that, assume that they're out of date. Um, and, and just get to know what kind of system you have in our house. When we bought our house, I was very surprised. Uh, and I think Rob was one of the people that got an email from me that was sort of like, <laughs> holy crap, my smoke detectors don't even have batteries. They're plugged into the oh, yeah. uh, the power in the house, and they have a backup battery, but they, you actually have to wire them into the uh, into the home, home electrical. That's right. what I grew up with. So what kind of activities does one do when you talk about, you know, don't wait, check the date? What What's being done at the fire department to kind of um, engage the uh, the youths that come to visit, but also the adults? Because you have to keep everybody entertained. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a, this is a fun for all ages activity. You know, uh, typically open houses are just a big, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. We open all the bay doors, we open all the station doors, we bring the trucks out, we bring the engines out. And it really is just time for families to come and check out the fire station, see what we do. Um, you know, everyone, everyone, I think I speak for everybody when they say they love a fire truck. I mean, come on, who doesn't? But, um, you know, it's, it's a great time to actually talk to some firefighters. You can jump inside the gear. We have a lot of stations. So, um, specifically at Falls Church, we do, uh, several different stations around, um, the apparatus bay. We have a place where you can try turnout gear on, which is the gear that firefighters wear when they go into a fire. Um, so if you, if anybody's interested in that, it weighs a lot more than you'd think. Uh, and so that's kind of a fun activity. You get to see people who, uh, are very surprised when they put the gear on and realize just how, uh, how heavy it is and how easily you sweat in it. Uh, there's stations you can get in any of the trucks. You know, we've got ladder trucks, we have engines, we have medic units and ambulances and all this fun stuff. And we invite the, the crowds to come in and actually jump inside the rig and see the equipment that we carry and, we don't want this to be scary. This shouldn't be an unknown thing. You know, if you see a fire truck rolling up or you see an ambulance coming, you know, that, that shouldn't be a, a scary thing. Somebody's coming to help. And uh, this is really an opportunity for people to see kind of behind the scenes what they might not see uh, normally as we're whizzing by them on the highway with our lights and sirens on. So that's a great point, Drake. And I think regardless of the theme each year, one of the, the focuses that's always on uh, public education and outreach to the community, especially to kids, is getting them comfortable with the idea of people in turnout gear, of people in uniform, because mm -hmm. the nightmare scenario that we all would always talk about at every drill or whatever is kids hiding from first responders, whether it be cops, firefighters, whatever, in the idea that you always have to check under the bed and check the closet, but any time that you can do anything to try and prevent that from occurring at all, you're, you're going to be one step ahead of the game. Right, exactly. And something that we, uh, we teach kids and adults alike, uh, you know, it's an ever-learning process here. Um, we actually also host birthday parties at the fire station. We take the uh, opportunity during those to educate um, children and adults on 
what we look like when we're wearing all our gear. You know, we look very different from when you see us in our station uniform, all the navy blue, to when you see us if, you know, your house is on fire. We wear all that turnout gear. We have uh, an air tank on. We have a mask on. We have a helmet on. We're probably carrying some tools. Um, and I, it's understandable to see how that would right. look kind of scary to pets or kids. Mm-hmm. And we try to get them familiar right. with Frankly, to anybody that's not expecting it, if Darth Vader comes crawling into your bedroom carrying an axe in the middle of the night, you're going to have some questions. Yeah, just one or two, but, you know. There's some of those same questions I have about Dan's beard, but that's for a different day. Oh, we could spend a whole hour on Dan's beard, but we don't have the time for that right now. Yeah. But no, so, you're, you're right. It's it's a lot of just educating kids and, and making sure that they don't see you as, as a scary individual. Um, you kind of touched on it though. The Falls Church does a thing for birthday parties. It's it's part fundraising, but a big part of it is is that prevention aspect and that education aspect. And from my experience, and and you can back me up, anybody, I guess, is that I got I got a lot of questions from the kids, but I got a lot more questions from the parents. Not just on, you know, what's it like or what do you do or anything like that. Just how does it operate? What kind of structure, you know, why, why does everybody show up at my house? You know, all those kind of things. Like it's just, it's a general education. And I think that's, what's helped us, you know, come to a point where we're at, where we have uh, a really good response rate. We're, we're don't have as many fatalities due to fire as we used to. Um, that's just part better education, part better technology. There's a lot of things involved with that, but if you stop doing one piece of it, you know, what's going to happen, you never know. So, Right. I mean, we, we say it all the time, and it's, it's, it's a little bit cheesy, but it's also true. It, the best fire that we go to is the fire that doesn't happen at all, mm-hmm. and that is prevented by this continual public education outreach. Um, and that's obviously, that's not only a big part for volunteer firefighters, um, you know, like us and those at Falls Church, but um, for career guys as well. You know, they spend a lot of time doing public education and outreach to prevent things like that. Um, and on that same vein, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on smoke detectors, even though I know we love smoke detectors, but um, I love smoke detectors as much as I love space weather. So I could talk about it for quite some time. <laughs> what do the Romulans think about this week's uh, theme? <laughs> I love it. Geeks. Um, no, 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 it's all good. So something that we do, uh, and this you can volunteer to do this, career guys do this. Most fire departments around the country will do this. Uh, is that if you don't have a working smoke alarm or if you want to test your smoke alarm, uh, they will actually come and they will provide a free smoke alarm check or installation uh, to you. And, again, that's free of charge. That's just something they offer as a public service. Um, and you periodically see depart the, our department, Arlington, uh, will go through neighborhood by neighborhood, and they will knock on everybody's door. And if they're home, they'll come in and offer a free check. And there's been a lot of instances where they've found delinquent uh, smoke detectors or none at all and they put them in so that's another option but one thing you also said um, that the falls church and, and a lot of other open houses do as well is expose beyond just the fire department and um, you know we're going to be very uh, listeners as many of you know us and you're getting to know us we're very fire focused just because of our background but i want to expand it out we have sheriffs at the open houses we have police there we've got uh uh, individuals that do um, uh, technology like checks and things. I mean, there's a the whole host of things Red people Cross, talking about. Yeah, Red Cross, mm-hmm. people talking about, you know, safety on the Internet. I mean, so it's it's fire prevention week, 
but it's community safety week as a lot of the the themes and the individuals that are brought in right i mean and that's that's yeah. that's something that is key to any sort of successful prevention campaign is expanding it beyond just one you know entity yeah exactly i mean firefighting is just a small part of this larger public safety team that we're on um, and that team consists of the Red Cross, other firefighters, police officers, sheriff's department, uh, emergency management. You know, the list goes on and on. And a lot of those entities are represented at open house. You know, you mentioned sheriffs and police officers. Falls Church PD comes by. Um, they have their motor unit there. So you can you can play with the police motorcycles. They have a canine unit. Um, so they'll show you how the dogs work. Um, the dogs are very friendly. Um, you know, and they have, um, we have all of our units there, but then again, the Red Cross is there. Um, so you really get to see a lot of the different facets of public safety. Um, and we also put on some demos. Um, you know, the police, I mentioned, do their canine demo. Um, they do that at open house. And we'll also put on some, some demos, uh, for the families as well. We do a, a simulated fire response where we bring out the ladder truck and the engine. You get to see them come in and one of the guys climb the big aerial ladder and, drag some pose into the building. We also put on an EMS demo. So if somebody gets injured, we, you know, simulate coming in and taking care of that patient and getting them loaded up into the ambulance and transported to the hospital. So again, it's kind of, there's nothing to hide here. We really just want to open the doors and we want to show everybody what we're doing uh, and have them ask questions. We love it when people come out and have a lot of questions about it, kids or adults. Yeah. Earlier in the episode, we're, we've been talking about, you know, safety at school and, you know, the prevention aspects at a school and the provides to, you know, the children are there and the kind of things that they provide the parents, um, you know, and having it, you need to talk to your kids about this all the time. And, you know, I've talked to my, my oldest is three and always has questions. She hears the sirens and always just says, daddy, it's an emergency. And, you know, we've gotten her on it, but then she's also afraid of, the sirens and she doesn't want to have the emergency come there. So it's, it's a push and pull. Like she's very excited about the, I mean, as, as I was, and I think everybody else still is the toys that go with, you know, the fire department and the other aspects of it, but getting to then have the conversation about, you know, if you hear the sirens, it's a good thing. It means that someone's in trouble and they're on their way to help. I think open house is an important part of, of kind of breaking down that wall where it's not scary anymore. You know, I can't for the life of me for the past two years and other times I've tried to get her to sit in, you know, in a fire truck and just to even do something. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where we'll get there, but open house is a good opportunity because there's all these other kids there too. And kids have an easier time if they see others doing it. Cause it's fun. It's something for them to do. It's more of an entertainment factor and not as scary. So, um, I think a well done a well done open house lasts much longer than just that day. It's going to last a long time for those kids. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And we see a lot of repeat families come through year after year. You know, this will be my my fifth year doing this with Paul's Church, and uh, for the last three, I've seen the same families come by, and it's amazing that they actually remember you. <laughs> and they said you actually did that demo, and you showed us how that uh, that axe worked. <laughs> that one time and, and, and Tim loved it, you know, and he talked about that for two days and it's, it's, it's incredible. You don't really think about it at the time, but they, everybody is really receptive to this and they remember it um, more than you would think, but that's great. So I know it takes a long time to prep. Have you already started? I mean, you know, we have a couple of weeks now till the open house. I'm sure the prep work started, started months ago. Um, you know, 
can you just in the couple of minutes we have left here just kind of talk about the kind of things that go into the prep and if someone from the general public wants to maybe donate something or get involved somehow if that's something that they may be able to do you know kind of things that that they may be able to help out with yeah sure so yeah we started prep uh several weeks ago maybe it might have been a month ago at this point um everything in the fire department is always about preparation uh every all our training and everything else so this is no different um, you know, we're cleaning the station, we're cleaning the rigs, um, but that's something we're doing every day anyway. Has, has the ICS PDF been distributed yet? <laughs> the ICS PDF has not been distributed yet. It hasn't even well, been I... written yet. Come on, man. It's a, it, you know, it's a changing environment, Dan. It's a changing environment. So you can't predict this stuff yet. you got to wait until you got to get the weather report. We're going to be checking the outer space weather. <laughs> I know Eric's going to be our, our go-to guy on that. You do need to check the space weather. You do need to check the space weather. Space weather. Important. See if there are any disturbances in the neutral zone. Yeah, or the fourth, for that matter. We check yes. everything. So it's, you know, check and double check. This is going um, so well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, really, we, we, we do everything. We clean everything. We get everything set up. We bring all our turnout gear out. Um, we make sure the rigs are ready to go. Um, we really want to show off our best foot. So we're going to have food there. We're going to have popcorn there. There's going to be drinks, all sorts of stuff. So, um, you know, all of this prep work goes into it. Um, and all of our members are um, already public safety experts. They're educating folks on all of this stuff anyways, but they're brushing up on the theme for this year. You know, we're going to have smoke detectors that we're going to have there to hand out uh, to the public. So if they want to take them home, if they know they don't have them that works, then we're going to have some there so that they can uh, take those home and install them. That's great. Have you figured out who's going to do the car cut yet? Haven't figured that out. We're going to draw names out of a hat because everybody wants to do that. So mm-hmm. that's the best part. So what Dan's talking about is uh, we do a simulation where we uh, actually use the jaws of life, the hearse tools that we call them, uh, to actually cut a car uh, simulating a, a rack that is is uh, bad, and we need to utilize some heavier tools to, to help the person inside. So that's always a fan favorite. Uh, and there's only a handful of firefighters that get to get put on that, so we have to draw names out of a hat for that. That's that's where the big kids at the fire department come together and, and really try to, to show off their skills and get to play with all the big toys. Um, but, no, it's, you know, fire prevention is very important, and I know, um, you know, we may have talked a lot about smoke detectors, but those are very important, and so it is a good theme to have. And if you want for, for entertainment purposes, uh, you can visit um, nfpa.org and just look at the past year's versions for Fire Prevention Week. Um, there's also plenty of information on there. We didn't even get into why Fire Prevention Week came about and why it's going on this time of year. Um, so you can check out, that out, and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. Um, so uh, you know, so you can find out more about the history of Fire Prevention Week and, and also find out what's going on in your area. You're um, you know, from a small to large city. Uh, there's going to be something going on. Uh, during this time because it's real important for the community. It's really important for the fire station because it also does a lot of camaraderie within the firehouse uh, to get everyone together and also good community tie-in, getting your local law enforcement and your uh, emergency management system or services folks in there as well. So uh, so that's important that way too. So with that, I really want to thank uh, Deputy Chief Drake Springer from the Falls Church Volunteer Fire Department for coming in and, and being our first interviewee and uh, having a conversation with us about smoke detection. Um, <laughs> So uh, Fire Prevention Week, the open house is going to be taking place um, on the 15th of October. 
So, but again, thanks a lot, Drake. I really appreciate you joining us and uh, and doing this. And would you uh, would you send us out with our tagline tonight? You bet. And this is for Dan. Dan, I know it's going to make you really happy, but we panic, so you don't have to. With that, good night, everyone. Thanks. Good night.